hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Onyx Hunt provides detailed, color-coded maps with public and private land ownership information. Onyx turns your phone into a fully functional GPS, even when cell phone service is not available, and gain the confidence to hunt new areas and states. Game wardens are using Onyx to make sure you are hunting in the right spot. Shouldn't you be using Onyx first? Start your free 7-day trial by visiting Google Play and the App Store. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I use Onyx. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rods partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com GuideFitter.com GuideFitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. GuideFitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out GuideFitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for GuideFitter. Wireless Partners building the first net cellular network for AT&T in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont to ensure first responders can always communicate in emergency situations so you know help is on the way when you need it. Wireless Partners is partnering for success with communities, local and state government, local business, and visitors. Wireless Partners building cellular networks for you. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief.
please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Episode 18, Pennsylvania Game Warden, Mark Rokowski. And I probably butchered his last name as I I did in my podcast. Mark is a really unique individual that I've known a very long time and have had the pleasure of getting to know him. And like so many other wardens, we are very similar people in different places. Pennsylvania is known to have probably the most hunters in the United States of America. They flip-flop with Ohio. That that central area is just filled with sportsmen and consequently has a lot of game and has a lot of poaching. So you're going to get to hear some of Mark's stories, which I found extremely interesting. But I hope you listen to episode 17, John Norris, and I hope you like that one as well. The weed warrior, I'll call him. You're going to be hearing more from John in the future. John and I are going to collaborate, me on the East Coast, him on the West Coast. I think we'll do a great job working together. So uh, next year, I look forward to listening to John working with me, and I'm looking forward to it as well. So that's a little uh, taste of what's in the future for Warden's Watch. But for now, we're we're in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania, what a a great state. When, When hunting season starts in Pennsylvania, schools closed. Can you imagine that? Schools closed. And it just became a family event. Hunting, opening day of deer season, became a family event. Whether it was grandpa, grandson, sons, daughters, wives, it it, it still makes a mark on the opening day of hunting season. And that's just an awesome thing. But this year, you're going to hear Mark talk about changing the the days. They're not going to have to close school this year. They're going to open on a Saturday to try to bring some of those people that maybe travel for colleges, be able to come home for the weekends and be able to participate with their families in, in a long-term family event. So that's pretty pretty neat to, to change things according to what social structure is becoming. And I think we're seeing that year to year, our social structure is changing, and a lot of us try to keep it the way it was, that traditionalism, and try to have people understand where our roots are, where we came from, and why we want to stay there. And all those shows on Discovery Channel do a great job of people going back in the woods and living there. I just love that. I just love that simple life that we had 100 years ago. Although I love my modern conveniences too. We wouldn't be podcasting if that was the case. But family events, it's pretty awesome because me and Mark actually met kind of at a family event. I'm going to call game wardens their extended families and we have our close knit families the guys we work with day in and day out and then we go beyond our borders of our states and it's our family that is across the nation the game wardens that we meet at these field days and every year somebody usually hosts a field day that game wardens come to they get to interact with each other tell stories they get some training during that time and we get to have that family reunion, 
so to speak. And that's where me and Mark met with 20 years ago at a main field day. And it was just, uh, we, we you had that personality that we connected and we stayed in touch through the years. And we always looked forward to seeing each other at those field days or family reunions. And I always called and Mark would bring a contingent up from Pennsylvania. And this time, I think they brought 11 guys to the, the field day, which is just awesome because as much as we are similar, we are different. And to share those differences, it just draws us closer together as a unit working for you nationwide, whether you're a sportsman, a wildlife watcher, an outdoors enthusiast. It just makes us a better all-around rounded game warden by participating in these things. So I'm going to encourage, if you're a young warden, go to these field days, interact with guys outside your state, go to these conferences, interact with other game wardens. It, it rounds you and it gives you resources in other states. Some guys have expertise in other areas. I'm, I'm just going to say that that's a great thing. And it's a great thing that for the public that we serve and the resources, the wildlife, to make us better game wardens. And by those associations and those relationships, we become better game wardens. And Mark has made me a better game warden through the years. He's got some skill sets that I don't. We talk about different things. Um, it's just a, a great relationship. And 23 years later, here we are podcasting. And we're trying to hold on to our traditions as game wardens, except we want to change as well because we have to change. We have to adapt. We have to address the needs of the people that we are serving and the resources that we are serving. You know, we got to remember first and foremost, we should be serving the resources. We should be protecting wildlife. That is our primary mission. And we talk about that, that it's our primary mission, but we are being pulled in so many different ways because we are the police in the woods and that's going to happen and that's going to change. And we are going to be more effective because it, we are going to be more relied upon because of it. It's just a fact. And we talk about that. And Mark has made me that better rounded warden because of our relationship. And I just, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. If, uh, if you know a warden in other states, you get these differences, there's different laws, there's different rules, there's different reasons for those laws and rules. And I hope we explain it as we go around this great nation of ours and talk to these individual wardens, these individual cases, these individual issues. You can get a huge perspective on what's going on nationwide. And I hope you enjoy listening to Warden's Watch podcast to get all that information, to hear all those stories of all these game wardens who are protecting our natural resources, your natural resources, my natural resources. So without further ado, we're going to get right into the podcast with Mark. Mark is a supervisor, law enforcement, or law enforcement supervisor. Correct. Which would be equal to, if, if we were using rank and stuff, it would be like a lieutenant. A lieutenant. I'm one of six in the state. Wow. That's surprising for Pennsylvania because that's a big state. We have uh, six regions, and uh, we have four supervisors in our headquarters that have their own discipline, and uh, they oversee a different program, and I happen to oversee the law enforcement program for 13 counties in the Northeast. Wow. Now I'm impressed, Mark. I've known you for a long time, and I'm like, wow, that, yeah. that's a big job. 20 years. Yeah. Right? Almost 20. Almost 20. Yeah. yeah. And you have how many working as a game warden? Almost 20. Well, actually, it'll be 20. I'm yeah. a salaried officer and almost eight years as a deputy. So I've been on since 92 with the agency. Nice. I came so. on 95. So, and we've known each other for a good long time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, but how many people do you actually supervise with? I'm thinking like that sounds like a big number. Well, we have uh, 23 districts within our region, so that's 23 game wardens, uh, five uh, land management group supervisors. Their game wardens have other responsibilities that oversee civilian uh, maintenance crews. Uh huh. And then I supervise 40 uh, deputy officers, which would be. Um, basically, like part time or part time police officers, police officers, yeah, which correct. have to keep their standards up and, and, and meet all kinds of things. That's yeah, it's a pretty unique program. Um, when I tell other states about it, they like tilt their head and say, "Wow." Well, let's start amazing. there. We're here there now, so let's start with uh, your deputy program because it is very unique. I mean, we've had deputies before. They come and they go. Technically, I'm still a, I'm a deputy now, and I, I run the Operation Game Thief program. Right. I wish I get paid like a lieutenant, but I get paid <laughs> like a deputy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, Pennsylvania. I mean, we're talking. You said statewide, like 350 deputies. Uh, about 325 now. Okay, 325. And, uh, for us, that's we're looking at it as critically low. Um, when I wow. came on in 92, we probably had somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,200 to 1,500 across oh the state. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And, um, well, it changes society, the uh, um, more responsibility, uh, liability, mm-hmm. the dangers of the job, and uh, basically time. Right. No, uh, definitely. And when you think of part-time police officers, they, they have to meet some certain standards, firearms, shooting, defensive Correct. tactics. Correct. They, uh when a deputy applies, uh, they they go through a written exam and a physical fitness exam, and that mm-hmm. pretty much tells us whether they they have the aptitude aptitude to do it and the physical mm-hmm. ability to do it. Then we send them down to uh, our academy in Harrisburg, and they're there essentially, I believe, for nine days for like sixteen hours a day, and uh, they get the basic training. They'll get uh, basic firearms handling, self defense, mm-hmm. an overview of the agency and the program, and. At one time, when I went through it, uh, once we completed that, and I went for five days, they would give you your credentials, your badge, and they'd send you out, and you'd, you'd be on a year of probation. Well, now, after the nine days, 16 hours, uh, they send them back with a, a booklet. Well, actually, a big binder, and they have a certification exam, uh, which is almost 300-question exam uh, that they have to take before they can get their credentials. So it's pretty involved. Yeah, I would say. And what do they get paid? Nothing. <laughs> and I, I, I shouldn't say nothing, but uh, we have a we have a budget for deputies, and uh, uh-huh. they get a stipend. It, it basically works out to they get paid twenty four days a year at a rate of eighty dollars a day. Wow, a so, day, a day. So and, and it was fifty bucks when I did. They worked it. eight hours a day. That's ten dollars an hour. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the funny part about That's it is... That's just for 24 days. They can work more. They could work more. Okay. And, you know, we have some deputies that work. You know, there's a deputy that came... Uh, today, we're at field days, came up, and, and he said, yeah, I, wake, I work 1,000 hours a year. Yeah. And, you know, and he's probably... He may be getting paid a little more because of his activity, mm-hmm. but he's definitely not getting the bang for his buck. <laughs> uh, and those are dedicated people. Incredibly. Yeah. Incredibly, and uh, people that care about our resource care about the wildlife, and that's why they're there. Because mo- I would say all of them are there for the resource and not the money. Right, the money covers some gas expenses, some equipment needs because we we outfit them with a uniform, mm-hmm. and but they're still responsible for their leather gear, their firearm, their radio in their car, um, any any incidentals with their vehicle, gasoline. So um, they use their own vehicles. Use their own vehicle. Put a radio in it. Put a radio in it. Do they put blue lights in it, too? They could or? put a red light. They're authorized okay. to use a, a red light and an audible siren. And in and, Pennsylvania, red lights law enforcement? Yes, okay. yes. And it's it varies a little differently than the salaried wardens and the deputies uh, because of the vehicle code and what's recognized as an emergency vehicle. Mm-hmm. But basically, um, 
when you describe their their responsibilities and what they do it, it's you know it's pretty broad you know they have a lot of authority uh, mm. powers of arrest yeah it's you know it's i can't believe you still have 325 doing it yeah and we were trying to get back up to 400 but um you know the agency does recognize the fact that you know we we want quality over quantity we want to make sure that we're picking the right individual to fill those positions yeah just like we do with our officers and that's kind of a good training ground if somebody gets in that and like you did i did and that's uh you know the the deputy program i'm a product of the deputy program and i know that a lot of my fellow officers my my supervisors uh, Uh my boss um my regional director, uh, Dan Figured, and I were in the same deputy class. Yeah. And, you know, now he's the director of a region, and I'm the law enforcement supervisor, and I don't think if it was for that deputy program, either one of us would and, be here. And it, it's almost like a test drive for employment, too, Absolutely. you know? Uh, your supervisor said, geez, you know, Mark works out really good. We want him as a full-time officer, and there you were. How, how many years did you work as a deputy? Uh, almost eight. Oh, my goodness. Almost eight from... from 1992. That was quite the test yeah. drive, Mark. It sure was. And, and it wasn't for a lack of trying to get in the academy. But again, uh, at, back in those days, our, mm. our, the, um, the uh, drive to get into the academy, you know, there's like 3,200 applicants. Yes. And uh, it, it was challenging. And it took me seven years and I didn't quit. And after the third try, I got in. Nice. And I, I, when I talk to other states and everything, and we talk about back when we started it was the same thing everybody so many people wanted to be a game warden so many people took that test not like today no no and 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 you know it's kind of uh, discouraging and it's like wow you know i can't believe like you know 3500 people took the test when i did and now you know we're we're hoping to get a thousand people and and this time around because we put more more uh, requirements on the you know what mm-hmm. you know to get to take the exam uh it knocked it down into the hundreds and we're like wow you know but i think that's a challenge for everybody in the country right now is attracting and and it has a lot of other things to do uh competition with um private industry competition with other state agencies like our, our pennsylvania state police who mm-hmm. you know the benefits and the salary are you know much better than ours are um, but we're hoping that we're attracting an individual again that's more about the resource what you know we're unique i always said that you know we're law enforcement i always said the game warden was the special forces mm-hmm. of law enforcement because we did it all and um, we're just not police officers we're not cops we're, we're game wardens yeah i like that special forces we're the yeah. special forces because uh, uh we're the police in the woods and, and more so as you know we we, we come along because if it's in the woods they want to call the game warden exactly and you you guys uh, we didn't even put this in but uh you have a special tracking team don't we you? do our woodland uh tracking team that uh i'd say is developed probably in you know i can't remember exactly how long but it was in the making within the last seven or eight years and uh came from uh just an idea from an officer that knew this scott donnellan down in virginia and start training maryland and got into orienteering and tracking said boy this would be really cool to get into because who better to know the woods than the game warden yeah and uh and i don't know if people realize but tracking we're tracking humans humans yeah Human tracking and, through the woods and yeah and and the, the people that they uh they learned off of were in the rhodesian army tracking at one time i guess communists out of vietnam and mm. then once the war was over they turned to poachers and taught the rhodesian army troops how to do this and then they came over and taught our people and um you know i i watch them work and i I'm, even though i'm involved with the tracking team as a supervisor they, it's still amazing to see the skill set um, mm-hmm. that our operators have and 
and watched him do it. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty proud about that team, and they've had some, some great outcomes and accomplishments over the last few years. Yeah, it's, it's kind of known nationwide about your tracking team. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's uh, because of the, the case with the, the Frayne, Eric Frayne incident uh, back a few years ago where he, he shot and killed a trooper and severely wounded another. And, and that was right at the troop station too, right? Right at, right at the barracks, yeah, yeah, in Blooming Grove in Pike County. Yeah, in the and heart then he of our fled district. into the woods. Fled into the woods and um, had a background in survival. And uh, I think it was 48 days on the run uh, with joint operations with the state police, ATF, FBI, U.S. Marshals, and uh, our tracking team. And our tracking team gained a lot of notoriety because they were helping uh, in, in several facets. You know, you had these urban teams coming out of Philly that weren't used to operating in a woodland terrain. And they were right. like, hey, can we have your guy here, you know, and mm-hmm. split the team up. And they were leading teams in searches. So it really... It really uh, put him on the forefront of, of some of the things we did, and, and gained a lot of respect for our officers. Yes, I, I would definitely. Yeah. We're the we're the police in the woods, and yeah. uh, a, a lot of uh, agencies are forming basically SWAT teams for the woods. Yeah, and you know we don't want to. Uh, we talk about it. I'm kind of from the old guard, and and <laughs> as uh, as, a, as, as am it's I. funny <laughs> because I, I'm sitting here with you and thinking about 20 years ago when I first came up here to Maine and met you, and I'm thinking, holy cow, I was like a rookie officer and. Now I'm a supervisor, and and, uh-huh. and I'm looking back at the, the young guys we brought up today with us, and uh, I'm like, holy cow, you know, I'm, you know, talk about the old guard and knowing the, the old game wardens and the new game warden, and I I always look at myself as being like old school but progressive. So when I talk about things about, I, our I'd like to think team, of myself like that too. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the technology and and yeah. everything, but you know, we talk about mission creep. And that's a big word when we talk about getting away from the core values of what mm-hmm. we're supposed to be doing. Yes. But unfortunately, we we can't get away from Mission Creek because society... We're, we're good at what we do. We're good at what we do, um, but society is pulling us in different directions. Mm-hmm. That We're dealing with things that in 1992 as a deputy, I would have never envisioned our right. officers being involved in. Because we're the police in the woods. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that's where most crime is happening today. And, and smartly, other law enforcement is reaching out to wardens because they do know the woods. Right. They know that's their specialty. That's the way they operate. They're comfortable. Exactly. Uh, it's almost like having a special forces military team in operation because that's where they're comfortable. They right. live in the woods. They like the woods. They know what's in the woods. They know what doesn't belong in the woods. And they're not afraid of the woods. And they're not afraid of the woods, especially <laughs> in at, at night either. <laughs> you know, and that was a, that was a, um, a huge... Uh... At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Advantage to our people because where that incident had happened, you know, that's teeming with wildlife there. It's like mm-hmm. probably the highest bear population in the state. 
and we had a you know, operator. So those bumps in the night might have been. They were, you know, with the night fish, bears. bumper bears, and they were doing these uh, large grid searches and pushing mm. bears out like crazy. And and some of those urban officers were not used to seeing, <laughs> you know, essentially being on a bear drive and, and pushing all this wildlife. And it, it it really opened their eyes to, and why we're chuckling, you know. Yeah, why we're comfortable with we're it. We're comfortable. They're, they're, they're running for a cruiser out of their minds because yeah. a bear just ran yeah. past them. Yeah, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, we had a we we really um, showed our true um, our true ability to operate in that type of environment. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's why we're we're doing that creep thing because we're we're talking about it more. People are seeing it on television. Right. Uh, our sister agencies are seeing what we're capable of, and they're just like, yeah, we we need some help. Where we're, we're we're not operating well. Yeah, so. and, and the great thing is, is a lot of those uh, barriers, and I call it, you know the ego barriers, mm-hmm. um, have been broken down, and and a lot of these these uh, supervisors or upper echelon, these other agencies um, who have started on the ground level on the road with all of us and moved up in the ranks, yeah. saying, "Hey, I watch these guys operate. They they know what they're doing, and now that they're in a position to make change and make decisions." Um, they're bringing us on board and, and, and vice versa. You know, we've, I don't think there's a better relationship now with our agency than our state police and, and our sister agencies because everybody's working together mm. and we're using each other as a resource. So, and, and it, it broadens a lot of things, a lot of intelligence, sharing information. So well, we're becoming more efficient as law enforcement agencies absolutely by, by giving everybody specialties and working yeah. together mm-hmm. so as a lot of rule departments have done for eons because they have that's the resources they have they have to pull from other agencies right so but great so hey we talked about all the bears you have in the woods and uh everybody's gonna have to look at the cover picture on uh your podcast because you are holding this massive bear trap that was just found recently. So I want to I tell everybody about that because uh, when, when you sent me that, I was like, wow. Yeah, I, I thought you'd enjoy that picture. Yeah, it, it's an awesome picture. It's got a lot of history. And then to hear the rest of the story you tell me, so I'd like you to share that with everybody else because that was a pr- pretty cool story as, as it is. Well, we, um, you know, our, our agency's steeped in tradition with a lot of things, like all other um game and, and wildlife agencies like we all have our story you know pennsylvania the reason though we have game wardens and at that time game protectors back in the early 1900s is because of market hunting and you know we had a most of pennsylvania was deforested clear-cut um because of uh growing cities philadelphia you know pittsburgh baltimore new york city and there was a demand for wildlife and and wood products so pretty much um Pennsylvania was decimated in the late 1800s and with that the wildlife was so whatever wildlife was there we had market hunters and they were just killing indiscriminately wildlife deer turkey bears in all different ways and uh, if you could eat it they killed it exactly or if you can pluck it for a feather or oh yes it, feathers hides. hides everything whatever could mm-hmm. feed that you know that that machine of um, you know population around around the country so the market hunters uh, were using all kinds of different methods to, you know, legal methods, whether it was a punt gun to kill waterfowl mm-hmm. or, or a nail bucket, you know, a wooden bucket with nails in it, with a chain with honey in it to attract bears and trap them and kill them, mm-hmm. deadfalls, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, th- they were using bear traps. So to get get on what we were talking about, this bear trap. And big bear trap. Big too. bear trap, about 35-pound mm-hmm. bear trap, double spring, and uh, 
we have a game lands, game lands 127 in uh, Monroe County, which is uh, in the Pocono area, and everybody's familiar with the Poconos of the uh, honeymoon vacation mm-hmm. area of Pennsylvania. There's a racetrack there too. Racetrack, there? Long Pond, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, tricky triangle. So. Yeah. We have a large game lands out there, about 27,000 acres, and uh, it used to be an old artillery range. Wow. And during uh, World War One and World War Two, they would bring troops in there for artillery practice uh, from the Toby Hanna Army Depot. They would launch uh, 155 howitzers into this large tract of land, mm. and uh, that went on, I think, almost in the Korea the Korean War in the 50s. Wow. And then somehow we acquired the property, I think it was for a dollar sale or something, from what I understand, and it became game lands. But the only problem was it was loaded with all this unexploded ordnance, like wow. millions and millions of pounds. So I could remember back when I was a, a new uh, conservation officer in Monroe County, we, they had a, a firm come in from Department of Defense would go in and mine sweep. They would they would come with these big headsets and uh, big metal detectors and look for unimpl- unexploded ordnance, and they'd be picking up 155 howitzer unexploded shells, 88 millimeter, whatever the, the army can launch in there. It was in there, mm. and uh, we couldn't do anything with the property. We couldn't do any control burning. We couldn't manipulate the land for food. What plots. was the property closed, posted? It, or? It, well, it was open to hunting. It you was. Know? It was, and and the, and it was kind of unique because we'd have people bring back like one fifty five millimeter great. howitzer cells between their lap and their pickup, and like, hey, look what we found! Yeah. Or like, <laughs> everybody's running away from the car, and the guy yeah. thinks he's got this great souvenir, and he doesn't yeah. know that like it's going to leave a four foot crater in the ground. Yeah, and, and not much of him left either. <laughs> no, yeah. no, so. And, and and thankfully we've never had any of those incidents where we've we've had a detonation with somebody having it. Jeez. So this company came in and, and was clearing the ordinance. Well, it's twenty years later and they're kind of wrapping it up and mm-hmm. um, it's pretty amazing it took that long and there's that yeah. many ordinance. So they were sweeping a, a portion of game lands out near uh, the Toby Hanna State Park, um, not far Interstate three eighty in Toby Hanna, and they came across a large object under the ground about three feet in a swamp thinking it was an unexplored ordinance. They dug it up. Well, lo and behold, it turns out to be this vintage bear trap with teeth. Everything intact, um, pristine. No, I wouldn't say pristine, but it's in darn good shape for yeah. being under the ground. For 200 years. Yeah, or, yeah, whatever, how long it was. Right. And yeah, because it was made then. It wasn't necessarily correct. lost then. Correct, and, yeah. and we had it looked at by uh, uh, folks that were, you know, our privy to that time of the you know century and yeah. you know i marked like 1840 and wow um one of our younger officers that was just stationed there you know did a little research and it found out prior to it even being a military installation there was some folks that owned that property back in the day and they have a history of market hunting hmm. and trapping bears so it's it, it it's probably a trap that was left behind yeah and over time got buried and so that right now that trap is at our region headquarters and eventually we're we're building a, a museum uh-huh. uh huh down in the southeast and that trap will be on display at our museum oh, that's it's part cool. of our history that's just cool to picture I mean when everybody gets to see you holding that that trap it's yeah just... everybody wants to wants to hold it we get a picture with it because it's so it's, it, it's a look it's a look back in history and mm-hmm. and you could be cathartic about it saying holy cow you know this. The reason I'm standing here today is because of the fact that these type of devices were used back then, wiping out our wildlife, and mm-hmm. um, kind of linked the beginning to what we are now. So it was pretty yeah. neat. It's that's definitely really cool. Have you always wanted to be a game warden? Um, no. Okay. Uh, no, but I always had a love of hunting. I've always, um, through my 
you know, I've been hunting since I'm a kid. I come from a hunting family, but I could remember back in the day hunting in really rural areas of Northeast PA and, and seeing that game warden cruise through with that vehicle and get out with that Stetson on. And it was always impressive. Mm. Um, I never, you know, I never uh, envisioned myself being a game warden, but I always thought, boy, that's, you know, command presence. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just really neat. And, and, you know, the fear that the game warden struck and everybody, oh, here comes the game warden. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I actually went on a different career path and, um, you know, uh, became a paramedic, at, you know, at 19 years, 19 years of age. And uh, did that, and you know, in a busy part in the city of Scranton and uh, mm-hmm. loved it. And then I had the opportunity to become a deputy in 1991. At that time, you pretty much had to be beg, beg the district conservation officer to to hire you <laughs> and I can remember um, you know who eventually became my uh, supervising uh, conservation officer and, and today I call my mentor uh, Tim Conway who uh, was a, a new officer in the district and I'd see the state car parked when I was a paramedic at, you know and I'd pull in and said hey I'm really interested in being a game warden and he's like eh, I'm not hiring anybody <laughs> Con- look me up in like six months you know uh-huh. and then six months would go by I'm like hey I'm still interested and you're like, well, send me a resume. And then lo and behold, one day I got a letter in the mail. I say, hey, if you're still interested, we're giving an exam. Nice. Showed up, had a little uh, impromptu interview, met a bunch of other guys. There was like 10 of, 10 of us there. Um, for the, you know, I was in Lackawanna County and there was two districts. And mm-hmm. the two officers there, Chet Cinemello, who was in the south, and Tim Conway in the north, eventually end up hiring 10 of us. And 10 if, deputies? 10 deputies. And I wow. think there was like five or six of us either became salaried game wardens or fish wardens nice. out of that pool. Dan Figure, my, my regional director, it was one of those guys that was hired by the neighboring district officer, and uh, his career started just like mine. But I think Dan's passion was a little different than mine. I think he envisioned being a game warden since since he was in kindergarten. So, And he moved up uh, you know, like I did. He did a little quicker than I did. He got in a class, you know, two classes sooner than I did. Mm-hmm. You know, the deputy program was definitely the the springboard to my career where I am today. Right. You know, and, and then I realized like three years into it, like, wow, working for free as a deputy is so much cooler than getting paid to be a paramedic. Yeah. And that was it. I just made my mind up that, yeah, this is probably the career path that I want to do. Nice. Yeah, that seems, uh, and you get a taste of it. They get to drive you as an employee, but you get to get a feel for what being a game warden in Pennsylvania is all about by being a deputy. Well, yeah, and it, it's it's most definitely, uh, um, you know, the on-the-job training, you know, and you, you see what what the responsibilities are and, and handling the public and, and knowing the agency and the history, you know, why, right. why we're here, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think when you, at, at the deputy level, those folks are there because of the resource. Because they want to be. They want to be there. And, and, and a lot of our deputies are very accomplished members of society. I mean, you know, lawyers, mm. um, professionals that I want to give something back to the resource. Yeah. What they do for us and how they support our officers in the field is extraordinary. And they've become, you know, very close friends and, and like almost family members of their, their supervising officers. Mm. You know, like... My and uh, Tim Conway, when I started, I remember his kids being in diapers when I'd be going over to the house to meet him to go on night patrol. And, and next thing you know, I'm going to their, their weddings yeah, and seeing their kids born. So um, it is most definitely a family affair, yeah, which is important. I think it's unique and important. Right. I know my family ate 
Breathe, slept, fishing game stuff. And uh-huh. still do. Still do. Still love. Uh, You'll never lose it. My son and my wife got involved with the Law Enforcement Memorial, and uh, my son hands out flowers every year down there to survivors. And, you know, he just has, a, it's a great impact on him, and it's a great pick, impact on everybody. And it's just, you know, like you said, it's getting the family involved in yeah. that. So, yeah. and so they understand that it, it's it's special and it has a lot of meaning. Yeah. And I think just being around us, they, they get that. And especially Absolutely. being brought up in it. In it. Your kids ever want to be a game warden? I don't think so, because yeah. <laughs> uh, I think for the fact that my kid loves to hunt, and uh, my kid, you know, ended up following in my footsteps kind of in the same way of becoming a paramedic. I think that he saw the sacrifices that I had made. You know, there are some regrets. I know that you and I have talked yeah. about, you know, just last night on a little stroll talking about, you know, how's your son and yeah. and how's your kid? And, you know, we've known each other so long. And I said, you know, I could remember my son saying to me, you know, Dad, I, I hate your job sometimes. Yeah. It's because we work through the whole hunting and, and weekends and, you know, they're in school and the Saturday yep. comes and they want to go squirrel hunting. And, you know, dad's just walking in Friday from Friday night at three in the morning for night patrol. And he's, he's taking a sleep. shower. He's going to sleep a couple hours and get back out because yep. he's got to chase pheasant hunters and, and things of that sort. So I, I think, um, what the public doesn't see, um, is that the sacrifice our guys make not only, for the, the work they do but what the toll it takes on their family mm-hmm. and when and when your son says that to you it, it hurts you mm-hmm. know it hurts but i think he realizes now being an adult and married that you know he's proud of his dad and you know he talks about it and you know so you know there's a give and take but i but i think he would rather do what he's doing yeah and be able to go out on that saturday and and hunt yeah. and and be out all night chasing bad guys so right and my boy wants to be a veterinarian at this point. He's 13. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Uh, something to fall back on. Uh, definitely a demanding job. And I don't know how many times I say it's a lifestyle. And 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 absolutely. I, I think that, and, and we talked about this also, about the the whole uh, part of it being a lifestyle and and your the creed and the, and the mottos and, mm. and our lingo, how we talk. And, yes. you know, it's four o'clock. You know, we never wanted to throw the keys to somebody else. You know, if we weren't done, we wanted to we, we wanted to be done four o'clock the next day till we got that guy and that investigation was over. Absolutely. So, you know, there's definitely a culture that I, I would never want to see leave this job. Mm. And that's my job right now with uh, fostering new officers coming up. I need to pass that culture. Mm-hmm. I agree. The, yep, we all need to pass that culture on. So, but getting, talking about all that drive and everything, I'm thinking, you know, Mark's going to have some really good cases. Pennsylvania is filled with wildlife and needs a lot of protecting because you guys got uh, probably more poachers nationwide because you have more hunters nationwide yeah, too. Yeah, so. quite a bit of hunters. Yeah. You know, we're, we used to tout that we were over the million million mark stage with hunters. Mm. We had 1% of the population in Pennsylvania. And that's dwindled you know, with yeah. the change of society, but it's no different than uh, here in Maine or New Hampshire or California or Texas you know, just a change in society, and we're seeing that decline. But um, we still have a lot of hunting heritage, and and you know, the fa- first day of deer season is like Christmas mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. You know, kids the, still the school still closed for that. They did um, every Monday. It was closed. You'd, you'd uh-huh. go on vacation, you know, on Wednesday evening, and the kids wouldn't go back to school till Tuesday because <laughs> of Thanksgiving. But this year, um, we're also we're actually trying a uh, test of opening on that 
Saturday after Thanksgiving. Oh. Yes. So so um, that, that schools won't have to close. They won't have to, and it's going to give an opportunity for those um, older kids that are in college, instead of going home and not being, or back to school and not able to hunt, um, at least they'll be able to hunt with their family on Saturday for the first day. Mm. So we're looking to try to do whatever we can to increase participation here. And, and our agency believes right now that with this Saturday opener, we may bring more people back um, for yeah. those folks that couldn't get out on Monday. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good try. So your, your best case... Can well, you pick one out? I, I mean, I, uh, there's many cases. There's I'm many sure. cases, and, and one a that lot stands of great out. Stories. I know I, I can pick my best case right out of my head. Yeah, and I, and I already shared that one with, yeah. with, with the listeners. Talk about cases, and and you don't know when that that big case is going to come. It could happen at any moment. It yeah, could, it, could it could happen when you're off. It could happen when you're off. It could I've done it, cases on my days off. Yep, <laughs> it, it could happen over a holiday. You know, uh, one thing that you you learn as a as a game warden that. Um, People will will go out to violate the law at any time of day, night, holiday. So these cases can happen at any time. And and what's odd about mine is my most memorable case happened like a year out of the academy Mm. in 2001. By far is my most memorable case, uh, probably the most in-depth investigation using other wardens, other agencies. It, it, it came out to a, a great result. I would like to say that that individual was rehabilitated, but we've arrested him <laughs> since then. countless times since then with major violations. And, mm. and my, my coworkers, you know, the other wardens would laugh. It's like, oh, yeah, you got this guy revocated for 51 years. All you did was cheat the state out of the, the commission <laughs> the out of $19 a year for his hunting <laughs> license because he's still hunting. But basically what it was, uh, you know, you get into a district and, and the big thing um, we talk about is knowing your public. And I think you can sit back and wait for that radio to crackle and say, hey, you have a poaching case here or this is going on. And we all know that 90 per- 90% of what we do is either by information received or knocking on doors or gaining really good contacts and having people feed you that information. I went to a sportsman's club meeting and there was... Um, fairly large sportsman's club not really used to that many people there um, when I was in Lackawanna County we, it was more of a r- uh, urban area mm-hmm. and our sportsman club meetings would consist of like six or seven people oh wow and when I went to Monroe County in the heart of the Poconos um, you know some of these sports clubs had a hundred members and they showed up for their monthly meeting and they had a meal and, and you'd you have a hundred guys there and they'd have 100 people. Wow. On this. And I walk in and I'm like thinking I'm going to walk in and give a, and it was during our antler restriction. Mm. So, you know, we're going out there trying to educate the public about antler restriction. And I walk into this room of like nearly 100 people and my jaw drops like, wow, what are all these people doing here? And, you know, I hope I was prepared to do it. So I, I gave my lecture on antler restriction, why we were doing it, the benefits. And lo and behold, in the back, I'm like, hey, are there any questions? And I see this older gentleman raise his hand, and he's like, hey, what are we going to do about so-and-so and him shooting all our deer? And I'm like, well, and I'm thinking, well, the question was antler restriction, but I'd be happy. And then everybody starts yelling, yeah, what are we going to do about this guy? You know, he's killing all our deer, and nobody's stopping him. Wow. Yeah, so I'm thinking, well, that piques my curiosity. Yeah. I just went over half hour of a lecture on antler restriction, and the only question they have for me is, what am I going to do about this local poacher? And nobody's doing anything about it. So 
sat down with the individual and he gave me some information and uh, turns out it was a, a notorious family from the area. My predecessors had had them. It was just a continual thing from grandfather to father to sons to cousins. Mm-hmm. It was almost like a criminal operation where they were killing all these deer indiscriminately. didn't matter if it had antlers, if it didn't. So myself and uh, Vic Rosa, uh, another game warden that was stationed down there with me, we get together and um, we start investigating this crew. So I need to know my target. Who am I dealing with? So I had a deputy with me, and I said, do you know this guy? And he's like, oh, yeah. Do you know where he lives? Yeah. So we went over to his house, and I pulled in his driveway. And he was in the driveway, and I said, hey, are you so-and-so? And he's like, yeah, why? I said, nope, just want to see your face. And I backed out of the driveway. <laughs> and he was looking at me, and my deputy's like, I can't believe you just did that. I said, well, I got to know my prey. Yeah. I said, we got to know who we're chasing. Yeah. Um, so basically what was happening was this, this uh, family was killing up to several hundred deer through the fall season and several hundred several hundred and and after gaining this investigation we got more informants and one of them turned out to be his his brother that was helping him in the processing of his deer meat into ring bologna and they were selling it and he said you know we probably processed upwards over the last two years upwards of maybe a thousand deer (laughs) and and that seemed kind of far-fetched yeah What, what is ring bologna Ring bologna is. A, I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. It's yeah. it, it's basically like if if you know what bologna is, but they, yeah. it was made with venison. Okay. And they would mix it with pork. Okay. And it would be like a half dollar size ring. So of, small. Small, like a okay. sausage. Yeah. And they would they would smoke it, and um, generally would uh, would be consumed during the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, into into Super Bowl Sunday. Gotcha. And so there was a short window where they would have to harvest their product get their product to somewhere where they can process the meat mm-hmm. and then get it to market. And what it, what ultimately ended up happening was this individual uh, was on disability from a local factory where he had hurt his back and he was claiming to be 100% dis- disabled. Well, throughout the whole fall season, you know, we were chasing him in pursuits after shooting deer. And I'm thinking, boy, for a guy being disabled, man, he can, mm-hmm. he can drive a car pretty darn good. Yeah. So one night... We had set up on a night a night surveillance, and lo and behold, this crew pulls up and shoots a deer in front of me. I end up getting up behind him, and I'm chasing the truck, and I'm running the plate on the truck. The truck, the plate's coming back stolen from a local car dealership. Mm. So I don't know who it is, but I have an idea who it is. Yep. So I ended up, we lost him in a chase. The speeds went up like over 100 miles an hour. I had a deputy next to me like totally Dude. freaked out, and I said, you know, I'm not going to end up hurting one of us over a deer. So we backed off, and I said, let's go over and sit on the house. So I sat there till about 4 in the morning waiting for somebody to come back. Mm -hmm. And there was, like, a lot of activity there. And um, we ended up following a vehicle that left, and sure enough, we run another plate, another plate that doesn't match. But it turned out to be another local guy who we've been following for for the year that was another poacher and he didn't have a driver's license and the state police said if you ever get this guy call us because he's like a habitual offender and he's going to jail Mm -hmm. so we ended up calling the state police that night getting this guy stopped and bringing him into the barracks trooper said you know you're you're most likely going to jail the funny part was when we called him at his home to come back to the barracks he drove to the barracks oh man with a truck loaded with blood in the back oh boy so deer hair and so we knew he was involved at some point it wasn't the right. truck we tra- chased that night but he was involved mm-hmm. you know we have our little ways of tricking folks on telling us so we use a little technique of uh, videotape that 
we alluded that we had that somebody videotaped him shooting that deer basically came up with a deal like if if he had cooperated we would try to get his driver's license back Mm. so we ended up making him a confidential informant and he gave us the whole program on you know when they killed a deer how they were doing it and the funny part was uh where they were doing it they're like they would go and shoot deer in between houses in residential areas Wow. And then have a, have two people in the back of the truck run out, grab the deer, throw it in, and be gone. Mm. And by the time the homeowner woke up, they're gone. Wow. So this was a reoccurring thing. So we were looking at for them in big open spaces in, in farm fields to poach. Right. And here they're doing it in neighborhoods between houses. Yeah. So we, we ended up finding out that a local butcher shop was processing the deer for them, uh, grinding it up. And so we called the Department of Agriculture and they do inspections in Pennsylvania on, on um, meat lockers and, and um, processing places. So we brought this really aggressive um, agent in, and she went in there, and there was a bunch of violations and said, listen, cooperate with the Game Commission here. Um, we might be able to work through these other violations you have. So what, through the whole course of the, the case, we were getting those people that were assisting, giving us written statements to get the... We wanted to get the ringleader, the guy that was pulling the trigger on all these deer. Yeah. So we found out that what he was doing is his former place of employment, he was selling all of this ring baloney to the employees of this factory. Mm. So it was up to between $500 and $750 a week wow. that they were collecting in cash <laughs> from the amount of product they were selling. Wow. The next step was find out who's collecting the money and who's delivering the product and who's buying the product. Mm-hmm. So we went and we went to this factory and talked to their administration, says we need to talk to your employees. And we sat them down to give us the boardroom. We brought in like 56 people. Wow, and to do interviews. Do interviews and we Mirandized them. They gave us a written statement. This is a big case. It was a big case. The funny part was the same group of people that we they were our target you're also mm-hmm. a target for the state police for a very extensive burglary ring and car chop shop. Hence the stolen cars from the dealership. Exactly, exactly. So I get a call from a special investigator, one of the crime troopers from uh, one of the barracks, and he says, hey, um, we're moving on this on this subject. And uh, I said, okay. He says, uh, well, we're, we're moving on them now. And it was February. And I'm like, man, if we do a search warrant, we're not going to find any product in February. Can we can we wait till the next fall where we get them with all this product? Because yeah. we're building this huge case. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, we, we're going to hit six different houses, two garages, and we're bringing like 30 troopers in, and we're doing a sweep here. So I was pretty bummed out because I knew I wasn't going to find any corpus delecti at that point mm-hmm. because it was all consumed. It was after right. Super Bowl Sunday. Well... Through our investigation with these 56 people, it turned out that we had one individual that purchased, and he had two rings of bologna left in his freezer. (laughs) So I was going to try to prosecute all these sales of meat through two rings of kibasi. Now, I knew it was probably going to be a long shot. Yeah. Ultimately, uh, the search warrant was executed. It was, we hit the mother load um, from burglaries that went all the way into New Jersey um, speedways they were stealing NASCAR collectibles. We found um, inspection stickers from garages from wow. 200 miles away. That there was burglaries <laughs> that were never solved. Um, drugs, 
stolen prescription plans. The guy's girlfriend had worked at a pharmacy and she was stealing prescription and they were getting opioids and selling those. So I could see why they didn't want to wait. They, they, yeah, and, and ended up found six stolen vehicles. Um, they were hitting laundry mats. They, they had stolen washers, dryers, computers, all stored in their barn. Uh, firearms, stolen firearms. So on their end, they did really well. So mm-hmm. we had done the, done the target's house and his parents' home. Well, mm-hmm. even though we didn't have what we were looking for as far as the the, the the, the food product, the, the ring bologna and that venison, we did come up with uh, like 10 unlawful deer racks, some in velvet, oh. an unlawful bear. So it wasn't all for nothing. We, mm-hmm. we actually got some good stuff out of it. So when the case all was coming to fruition when we were going to court, he had a lawyer. And the lawyer said, you got nothing here. You got him on two counts of selling me. Yeah, we'll, we'll indicate that, yeah, he killed those deer. And we'll we'll plead guilty to that, but we're not pleading guilty to fifty five counts of sale of wildlife because that's what we had gotten through our through our interviews, mm-hmm. and we knew that he sold it. We knew the money that was collected. We had the guy that collected the money. We worked the deal with him. Mm-hmm. We did a little more digging, and we found out. Well, wait a minute, like this guy's on disability. Ooh. He's and he's making ring baloney. He's making ring baloney. We're chasing him, and he had a car like registered in a local um, demolition derby at the county oh, fair. Really? So we contacted. The insurance company said, "Hey, are you aware of mm-hmm. all this?" Well, it turned out that he was get he was collecting a check for like nineteen hundred dollars a month, and but half the check was going to his attorney. And really, yeah, because of retainer costs, because he was always they were always always in trouble, so uh-huh. they were always in court. So he had an attorney on <laughs> retainer, and the way he paid him was through his disability check. So. We're talking to insurance companies like, you know, you need to look into this a little bit because this guy is, oh, no, he's disabled. We send an ambulance once a month to his house to take him to his doctor's appointment. Are you like, kidding me? Yeah. Wow. When we end up going to court, we kind of laid it all on the table and, and his lawyer once realized that, well, wait a minute, I'm getting half of a check from somebody that's claiming, which stunk of insurance fraud. Conspiracy. Conspiracy to whole nine yards. Yeah. And uh, they, they eventually settled. We didn't get to the all 55. Mm-hmm. You know, we had fines up to $26,000 and 51 years of revocation. Awesome. It, it gained a lot of, a lot of um, credibility with the public because we actually... You know, we actually went after this guy, and we weren't afraid of him. And and that was his mo. He did it by intimidation. He would burn people's property or vandalize wow. it. He knocked all the windows out of the state police cars at a local barracks one time as retaliation for being arrested. So you you were dealing with not your everyday poacher, just, right? It was career criminal, career criminal, tough, tough and ruthless, and yeah. so didn't care, didn't care. You know, mm. since then it's been how many years. Um, our guys have gotten him. He's a felon not to possess, and we've gotten him with firearms and yeah. poaching incidents. So, you know, he knows the heat's still on him. Yeah. You know, but, but you started but, that ball rolling way back. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's a lot more elements to the case than talking yeah. for the few minutes we're here. I think it was a lot of accomplishment, a lot of, you know, self-gratification working with these other agencies, particularly my partner, Vic Rosa, who put a lot of footwork in and interviewing. And, mm-hmm. and it was just one of those basic cases where we took – Two rings of baloney and turned it into this major case mm. and and wrapped it up really and nicely. And a lot of times that's what cases start at the little things. The, that's the just smallest, identifying the little things and then 
investigating investigating it and i think that's the most important skill of a game warden is having that ability to talk to people knock Mm. on doors and say hey you know why we're here i love that part it's the best part of the job it is the best part and and solving the, the unknown midway usa brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for for the victimless, for for people or uh, wildlife that can't speak. Exactly. You know, I always said our job was much more difficult than a homicide investigator because deer and bear don't carry cell phones they <laughs> didn't talk to somebody the night before who were they at the bar with yeah that's right that's right so, so we had to gain all of our piece that all together piece it all together ourselves and find that human element that's involved with it exactly mm. oh, that, that's that's an awesome awesome case you had to be that would but that would probably be one of my high points if i was in your shoes too because yeah. that's uh that, that's incredible yeah so. kind of knew that was probably going to be the that one case for the career and and so far after 20 even with the deputy time 28 years i, yeah. I really there's been other awesome cases but that one was the most gratifying Jump, jumps right out at you yeah, yeah it no. went from a complaint of somebody complaining about something and doing the footwork and ended up with a, a great yeah. resolution of the case. and you listening and listening to yeah. the to the public, yeah, because sometimes that's hard to do when sure people is. just generally complain. I mean, you even thought that well, that's a whole bunch of factor, that's a whole bunch of fiction. Yeah, how many people complain about incidents that happen? But yeah, you know, and just, there's something that they don't know that you do, and something like that. But again, it's investigation, no matter what it is. Absolutely. So you did bring something up through that, which uh, the three point restriction that Pennsylvania did on their deer, yes, was uh, somewhat controversial in the Very. beginning. I believe to this day it's successful. It is very successful, and it's actually really gained the support of our our hunters, which you know, is huge. It was to go and, from and, and very it negative to very positive. Exactly, and and it's not all about you know a lot of folks are saying well Pennsylvania is a traditional deer hunting state. Um, white-tailed deer is the animal, and it's not about the trophy. It's not. I don't care how many points or how mm-hmm. big the antlers are. It's about going out there hunting, bringing that table fare back at the end of the day. So trying to sell that antler restriction when it, in its inception yeah. um, was pretty difficult. And our deer management team, uh, headed by Gary Gary Alt at the time, um, who was one of our renowned bear biologists, took over our deer section, and, and he had a tough time. I mean, we would have public meetings, and we, we would put him in a ballistic vest. <laughs> and we had a plainclothes warden sitting in the in the audience in case something bad went well. Wow. Because he had death threats and everything because we were changing the way traditionally people Tradition. were going to hunt. And now mm-hmm. they had to take a moment and count. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that, that spike buck. It wasn't now. brown, it's down. Exactly. It came with a lot of op- opposition, but after a few years when they saw the result, and it wasn't only the of, of allowing the public to kill a a, a nicer animal it had a lot to do with wildlife health because we were getting a much healthier specimen a better deer larger body weight mm-hmm. and it was you know i always describe it as like when you have a high school football player you have a kid that's 15 years old and you see his physique and his ability at 15 but when he's a senior and he's 18 
you know, he's gained 50 pounds. And it, it's the same analogy there. You know, you let these animals live past the 18 months. Mm. And, you know, you look at these other states that are harvesting deer at six and seven years old and they're, you know, 190-inch deer. We, too, in Pennsylvania could have that. And yeah. genetics, food source, and age class is what we were going for. And, and it's been... And that's to bring a, a quality to bring the quality up in your deer herd yeah and and i think in, originally during our whole deer season we kill a lot of deer in pennsylvania you know yes, i you think do. it's like close to four hundred thousand, something like one hundred fifty thousand antler deer and at that time we were killing 15 percent of our deer were two and a half years old or older 15 percent mm. and after a few years with the antler restriction that went up to like 65 or 70 percent nice so the, the body weights were larger, deer well over 200 pounds, which was unheard of, mm. and beautiful, beautiful bucks that these guys were harvesting. So we have a three-point in our area, and when you go out west where the food source is better, mm-hmm. larger agriculture, we have a four-point, it's called three-up rule, so they have to have three points on the top, so it would be three points in a brow tine. Wow. In, in our region, it's um, it has to be a brow tine at least one inch in length. Mm. Wow, and it's been so effective. The hunters are happy now. Yep. They're killing a, a better deer. That You're seeing a healthier population of deer in Pennsylvania. Exactly. Uh, numbers, have they dropped because of the quality? It, it, the first, sometimes that's... Well, the first year we saw a, a decrease in the, in the buck harvest, and the reason for it was is because they had to look a little harder. And mm-hmm. that deer that may have been a legal buck they weren't sure of, um, they let it walk by. So it was reduced. And it didn't come without its issues. You know, we do still have mistake kills. We do mm-hmm. have individuals that do honestly make an, uh, some type of mistake in identifying that animal. Um, and we have provisions for that. You know, they're not mm-hmm. punished. There's a restitution of $25. They don't keep the animal. Um, yep. you know, they so it doesn't benefit them. It doesn't benefit it. them, but they do get a second tag for a second chance. Yeah. So, you know, we've the first year we saw some districts had over 100 mistake kills. And, mm. uh, and wardens were out till like 2 in the morning doing mistake kills. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's not that bad now. We still get mistake kills, well, but it's People are getting used to it. Used to it. They're taking their time and, mm-hmm. and, and looking. And, and I think the public's reaction has been very good with mm-hmm. the antler restriction. They're seeing that they don't have to go to Ohio to right. kill a trophy class buck now they can do it in your backyard yeah so yep no that's uh, that's instrumental and i know new hampshire tried to do that a few years ago and i we have winter which kills our deer so i i, yeah. I, I think it's a whole different strategy you do have to look at everything and uh, but it's great to see a success story like that and uh you know guys like gary all sticking his neck out there for the resources he did and and i think the fact that he brought so much credibility with our bear program mm. um that you know, he had a lot of trust there, but still, um, the public was not in support of it in the beginning. I mean, right. it came with a lot of, a lot of turmoil and opposition. Yeah, and the bear program in Pennsylvania—you have what the largest population of bears and the biggest bears in the right now. Yeah, we're we're looking at maybe a population of about twenty-two thousand. Twenty-two thousand black yeah. bears. If you look back in nineteen eighty-two, we had like thirty-five hundred. Wow, they've been breeding like rabbits. Yeah, we got the food source, we got the habitat, uh-huh. and um, you know we've we've seen some tremendous animals, tremendous bears being harvested. What do you see for weights on some of the big ones? Well, um, greater than eight hundred pounds. Oh my goodness! Yeah, in two thousand three, we had in my district we had three bears that were harvested over eight hundred pounds, <laughs> and I believe the largest right now is eight seventy eight was harvested in Pike County few years ago you know and there's probably 
somewhere, a thousand pounder roaming somewhere yeah. in the in the Commonwealth, particularly in Pike County in the Northeast, where we have a lot of swamps. Mm-hmm. Bears right now from from the month of April till October. That's what our wardens do in our region anyway. We just we may do like fifteen hundred bear complaints, but we have the population. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a statement when I was in the academy. Gary Alt said, you know, society will only tolerate so many bears. And once, and I said, well, what would be that? You could put cougars and grizzlies and everything else on that list, too. Yeah. And, yeah. and he said, once we reach a threshold around 20,000, know, society is really going to push back. And, and he was right. I yeah. Mean, we, in our region, we trap about 800 to 1,000 bears a year in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in the six regions. Uh, my region does about anywhere between two and 300, depending on food sources if we have a good berry population or beech nut um, our bear complaints seem to be a little lower but if we have those lean years yeah they come in for the bird seed the garbage and you know some of our guys that's all they do is you know trap bears all day long and and handle bear complaints so right now that is the biggest hurdle for us Mm -hmm. in the summer months is handling bear complaints wow and that's a lot any good bear cases that you can come to the top of your mind yeah, you know, in Pennsylvania, you can't bait. Yeah, um, you and know, you guys hunt them in a whole different way. Yeah, than a whole anywhere. different way. Yeah, bear drives. Bear drives, and, and you know, they're usually, and we're not, and, and that's the issue right now is that we're we're seeing a decline in that in that type of hunting where you would get a truck, and they, they can't hunt greater than 25 individuals in a party for big games. So Holy moly, you 25 would see, guys. You would see two pickup trucks, like an army, yeah. Full of orange pull up and they would hit a swamp and they'd have standers and drivers and yeah. you know, they knew the swamps to drive, they knew yeah. where to go and, and, those... and driving just for everybody knows if you're not familiar with it, basically people walk through a piece of woods and the animals run out ahead and the hunters harvest them on the other end where they're sitting Correct. and waiting for them to come out. So and that's that's it was common for deer with me growing up. Uh Pennsylvania it's on steroids. I mean we were only allowed six in a party total. Not yeah. 25. Yeah. So, you know, they could be very efficient, yes. especially those groups that are um, traditionally, um, uh, that's what they do, you mm-hmm. know, and they're very successful. And, and we depend on them being successful to, to, reduce, the to reduce the population so you can sustain it. And there's no other better way than we both know than hunting mm. to keep these populations in check. So with bears, we allow them to drive, but we don't allow them to bait that is one way that it's it's not a, it's a fair chase issue in pennsylvania because of we're, we're very populated you can artificially change the weight of a bear if you can get a bear coming into a donut pile daily mm-hmm. you know you can take a bear that should be 250 pounds and make them 400 in a short period of time right. so that's why our record books don't reflect weight we do it by skull size because uh, it could, the weights can be artificially yeah adjusted you know you start feeding the bear fat suet yeah. Reese, you know, you can get them plumped up pretty quick. Yeah, makes very good sense. So the bait, the bait issue, um, we take very seriously in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't even use a lure, any type of scent lure either. No sun, huh? No, no bacon burns, no honey nothing. burns, nothing. Wow. Nothing. So even though we have a, a good population and they could be a nuisance, we, you know, we still protect that resource. Mm-hmm. You know, you obviously can't kill them in a den. Baiting. I is, would imagine in and around agricultural is a pretty popular spot to hunt yeah yeah and, and it helps out the agricultural community yeah you know because they do have the right to destroy those animals if they're destroying their crops uh-huh. and we try to have those folks give us the opportunity to either trap them and get them out of there or or allow hunting opportunities 
you know, the bears in our area uh, carries a lot of tradition with bear hunting and as being a game word in a particularly uh, traditional bear hunting area, we take pride in, in our enforcement of bears. So, you know, some of the cases, you know, think of a lot of um, sometimes individuals that don't aren't licensed Mm-hmm. And um, we have a very liberal bear season. We have a lot of extended seasons. You can this year you're going to be able to hunt it with an inline archery equipment. Then when the deer season comes, you can harvest a bear if you have a bear tag. Wow! So what happens is is these individuals will be out and they'll hunt. They won't have a bear tag, and a bear will come by and they'll kill the bear, and then they'll go back to the local sporting goods shop buy a bear tag tag the bear right the great part is we have check stations and every hunter is required within 24 hours of harvesting a bear you have to present it to a a bear check station and at those stations we have officers and we have biologists so our biologists are collecting that data Mm -hmm. pulling a tooth weighing that bear looking at the general health and and we we base our population on our ear tags we know how many bears we handle Mm-hmm. So the ratio of how many bears come in tagged to what's not tagged, we use our formula that tells us what our population is. Because we know if, we know how many bears we have tagged. So if we have bears coming in that are untagged, they do a formula where they know, well, this se- section of population, um, untagged, we've handled these. So they can mm-hmm. pretty much dial in on how many bears we have. Mm-hmm. So that information is collected, and then we have the officers there. And what are they looking for? How long has this bear been dead? Um, is there apple mash in the, in the bear's mouth mm-hmm. or in the in the esophagus? Our cases start a lot during the season. One memorable case as we started talking about was um, uh, we had an individual that was working at a taxidermy studio. He was bringing taxidermy mounts to another taxidermist. That's kind of odd. It was weird because ha- the mounts were half finished. He This kid would bring half finished mounts to this taxidermist and he said hey can you finish this for me taxidermist said yeah I was like yeah I was doing it myself and you know I'm not I don't know what I'm doing and Mm -hmm. so he brought them like two or three mounts and the taxidermist is like something's wrong here the work that's being done on these animals and they were like foxes and coyotes Mm -hmm. they were professionally done like you could he could tell that another taxidermist and it wasn't this kid he he called some of his neighboring taxidermists and says hey are you missing mounts and the one taxidermist said, yeah, I'm like I'm missing, I'm missing like four coyotes. <laughs> and he's like, well, I think I have them. So can you come over? So the other taxidermist said, hey, yeah, that's my stuff. So he narrowed it down. He had these two kids helping him skin bears and deer during the hunting season. And in turn, this kid was stealing mounts, taking them to somebody else to have them mounted. They arrest the kid. The local police arrest him for theft. Uh-huh. And the kid's like, oh, am I getting arrested? He's like, yeah. It's like, it's that, well, it's a, it's a mount. Well, you don't understand. You're stealing somebody else's property. It doesn't matter. It's still right. a theft. He says, well, if I give you some information about some Ill- an illegal bear, you know, will you give me a break? So they called my, uh, Pete Sussenbach, my neighboring officer at the time. It was his district. And uh, he says, yeah, I have information that a friend of mine killed a bear out of season. Okay, so the cop said, hey, listen, if he gives you good information, taxidermist is cool with it. We'll write him a, a summary ticket for retail theft and cut him loose if he gives you good information. So mm. we start working. And it is all about good information. It's all about good information. Because I've had that bad information that turned out sour, and I cut a deal prior to. Yeah, so that, you could, it's I a, learned that one time you make that mistake and never again. Yeah, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a gamble, mm-hmm. and sometimes that carrot gets dangled in front of you thinking, wow, I'm going to get this bigger case when mm. I have this in front of me. And um, I guess it's the cost of doing business, Wayne. It, it, it is, but it still burns. It does. It does. <laughs> it only happened once and never again. I learned my lesson. 
Yeah. The police and the taxidermist cut a deal and said, yeah, I'm fine with that. And he gives us the information. So basically what, what he tells us is um, him and his buddy are on the last day of bear season and or last day of deer season, the rifle deer season, and a bear comes by and his, his buddy shoots this bear. They, he helps him take it out with an ATV and uh, he says, yeah, the, the bear hide is at this other taxidermist. So I'm thinking, boy, you know, something stinks here. You know, he's already puts himself at the scene of the crime. He's actually a co-conspirator here. He helped mm-hmm. him take it out. We'll deal with that later. But we wanted to get the guy that actually killed the bear. Yeah. He's incriminating himself in a crime, which he doesn't understand. But, hey, we'll deal with that later. I didn't understand it was stuffed about the taxidermy either. So, yeah, exactly. You know, we're, so, we're going down the same road. So we go down to this other kid's house and bang on the door. And, and he's... Um, I, no, I don't know why you're here. Well, what about this bear you killed on the last day? Well, this kid blurts out, well, he killed a bear too. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, he killed a bear the Saturday before, and I helped him drag that bear out, and I shot another bear on Saturday. Oh, so our informant, I don't know what he was thinking. So he we ended on up, himself. Yeah, we end up going back to the taxidermist and said, hey, I need to see these bears. And sure enough, he gives us two hides. Uh-huh. But when he gives us the hides, there's legal kill tags on them. And I'm thinking... How could there be legal kill tags on them, seals? Because the only way you get those seals is if you take them to a bear check station. Mm-hmm. And this was after our bear season. So I run the numbers on the tags. Well, it comes up to somebody, some other person that had uh, wasn't even associated with them. So I call him up. I said, hey, did you kill a bear? Yeah. Well, I took it to this taxidermist. Well, here... Not only were they stealing mounts, but they were cutting tags off legal bears and putting and on putting bears. on illegal bears oh my to goodness. pass them off. So it ended up that um, he didn't get much of a break. No, did he? he didn't. No, he didn't. We ended up charging the one kid with an awful bear, and actually we charged him with two bears because they co-conspired. They were yeah he helped him with both of them helped with two bears. So I, that was that was kind of a funny one. Yeah, and sometimes they're not real smart. Yeah. Which is a benefit to us. No no doubt, no doubt. The kid kind of ratted on himself. He ratted on himself and his buddy. Oh, that's just that's just perfect. So, <laughs> Yeah, and we're here at the Maine Field Day. So uh, game wardens have field days every year usually, and here we are in Maine. And, uh, you know, why, why Mark's here up from Pennsylvania, give me an opportunity to speak to him. Uh, anything in closing well, you I can just, think uh, of? No, I think, you know, you're at, you end at your career. Yeah. And after how many years? And uh, I want to congratulate you for that because really Thank didn't you. do it formally. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of saw your enthusiasm through your career and, and bringing our new guys up here was amazing because I wanted them to be around like-minded individuals with that enthusiasm. So when they go back, they're like, wow, being a game warden is like something pretty special. It is. It's you very know? special. So being here and doing your, your podcast is kind of, you know, I'm kind of getting to the end of my career here, mm-hmm. and it's been a way a, to pass on that stuff. Yeah, and and for you and I to be sitting here doing this, whoever yeah. thought 20 years ago you'd be doing a podcast? Yeah, whoever thought a year and a half ago I'd be doing a podcast. Yeah, and for us to be at the main field day where we first met, yeah, and and had that friendship, and all the great guys and gals that we've yeah, formed relationships absolutely. up here. So I, I thought Man, this is, I think, a highlight of my career. Yeah, it's great being a game warden. It's awesome being a game warden. Yeah, and I yeah. hope that many of my listeners follow suit or just uh, get the feel, get the cases, uh, and appreciate what game wardens do. Hey, there's less than 7,000 of us in the country. Mm. You know, where I come from, we got 4,500 state troopers in our yeah, state. Yeah, that's almost the country's And there's only 200 of us, so... In Pennsylvania. Still a lot of podcasts to do, Mark, when I hit everyone. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. 
Hey, thanks again for sitting down and having a chat with Thank me. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it was a pleasure and actually an honor. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Take care. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.